Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I beat Stop Singer. Toss on up the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Leonis Martin with a walk-off. Two-run home run. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for coming back once again. Our AL West previews continue today, and they continue with the Oakland A's. Alex Hall is going to join us again. Always great to have Alex on. He's going to give us some great insights on the A's coming into the season. Also, the Mariners making a move yesterday, surprising considering that Daniel Vogelback expected to be a platoon partner at first base coming into the season. Struggled, especially the past week or so in spring. He has been sent out. Here is what the skipper, Scott Service, said about the move. Tell me a little bit about the roster move today. Daniel Vogelback sent down to the minor league camp. Decision there about uh, Vogelback because it appeared like he was going to get some playing time this year with Valencia at first base going into the spring. I, I do think he'll still play in our mix here at some point. I think, you know, trying to, to make a decision on where we're at as a ball club and where Daniel's at, you know, in his career. He made huge strides defensively. Uh, in this camp, I think the work that Manny Acta and Tim Bogard did with him has been really, really good. Uh, there's still he's got a ways to go there as far as getting up to you know making all the plays at first base, you know on the defensive side. And as much as you know, ah, it's just put him over at first. It's a huge part of your infield. They touch the ball second most anybody on the field other than the catcher. And uh, you know want to get him a little bit more work down in Tacoma there. And you know the last probably a couple of weeks he struggled with the bat a little bit. And, and he's got great track record of being a very productive minor league hitter. And you know he. He'll get it back uh, going offensively, but you know we're where we're at as a ball club, and uh, I think trying to do the best thing for him, which is kind of what we did with you know Mike Zanino and James Paxton last year. It's it's more the about the player and, and putting him in a good spot. He's definitely going to help us at some point this year. How did things go with uh, Tony Zick earlier today? A chance to pitch an inning in a minor league game, trying to come back from that bicep shoulder uh, surgery. Tony's feeling great, and he continues to throw the ball well. He threw about 12, 13 pitches in a minor league game in one inning, and uh, you know the stuff's coming out really good. Throwing strikes, he's made a few mechanical adjustments. It's kind of taken some of the strain off his arm, but the ball's coming out really good. Excited to where he's at. He's a little behind everybody else, so uh, you know we got to get him. He'll get in a Cactus League game here probably this weekend or maybe. Monday, not quite sure yet uh, what day Mel has him scheduled there. But you know, once he gets in that game, we'll see where it goes from there. But, you know, typically relievers, they'd like to have him, you know, seven, eight outings, something like that. So he's got some work yet to do. And here's Jerry Depoto. It's been a rough 10-day stretch for him. And just felt like at this point with where he is, both offensively and defensively, that the best thing for him was to go back and, and we'll start the season in Tacoma. And uh, it doesn't mean he's going to finish the season in Tacoma, but we felt like some of the adjustments or, or some of the work we've asked him to do, both in the batter's box and defensively, there's a lot to expect of a guy. He put in a lot of work, uh, as did Manny, as did Bogey at first base, as have Scott Brocious and Edgar in the batter's box. That uh, as we get closer to opening day, it became more apparent that we weren't seeing a product that was finished enough for us to feel great about 
starting the season. I still feel like Vogie's going to have a big impact on our season, but for the time being, sending him off to Tacoma to start the season, we feel is the right thing to do for both him and the team. You've been big on not rushing guys when they aren't ready. That's just not wise. You know, we did this and sitting down talking to him. This is very similar to what we did last year with James Paxton, with Mike Zanino. And we will take the appropriate time and care to make sure that when he comes to the big leagues, that the, that he is uh, he is polished enough in the areas that are going to be important. He's going to make mistakes like all players will make mistakes. He's going to make errors at first base like all first basemen will make errors. But you know, we, we do need to make sure that he's as, as complete a player as we can manage by the time he gets here. And right now we have enough depth around our club uh, going into the offseason. We knew this was a, a potential outcome. We didn't want it to be. Uh, we preferred the idea of going in with Vogie and Valencia, but there's a reason why we traded for Danny Valencia. So yeah, we feel like the, the depth of the team will allow us to do this and, and hopefully get Vogie back on the right track where he needs to be. And and this this turns out to be more of a short-term thing, but you know, he will determine that. Jerry, the word has always been you like the offense. The offense is there. It's got to be the defense. That's got to be there. But you just mentioned the offense. So what are you seeing there and what do you need to see there? Uh, well, obviously, we went into this camp asking him to make a lot of adjustments defensively. And, and we did see a return. He, he was exponentially better than he was when he left in September. Credit to him for the hard work in the offseason, to, to Manny, to Bogey for what they've done here in camp with Dan. Uh, to him for showing up early. He was the first one here every day working with the guys defensively, and we did see that show up. Uh, don't can't imagine he could have made more improvement in a short period of time than he did, and uh, and he'll continue to improve because now he's working on it. But along the way, the last ten days with the bat really slowed down, and you know it, at some point there has to be that, that kind of carrying ability. What is going to get you on the field? And you're willing to, to live with a shortcoming because something else is overpowering it. And we weren't seeing either one. So uh, felt like he had been focused maybe so much on one thing that the, that the other was, was falling short. And the easiest thing to do at this point, because he has two options, because he is 24 years old, because he's going on the 40-minute drive, give or take, on the traffic down the road, we, we, can, we can bring him back as soon as we'd like to. And it's why we choose today so that he's not banished for forevermore. You know, we can go get him as soon as we want to get him once the season starts if we're comfortable with where he is in his total game. Valencia hasn't hit real well. Your track record kind of Yeah, I mean, Danny has a real track record. And over the last, over the last three seasons particularly, he's hit, he's hit both lefties and righties. We talked about that as, as one of the main attractions, his versatility. He's pounded the lefties. Over the last couple of years, he's hit the righties as well. I think he's transitioned to first base quite well. He can really throw for a first baseman. And here over the last week, he has actually started to pick it up. The barrel contact, he's he's starting to swing the bat better. The bats are getting better. And you can see Danny's a, a veteran player who came in, uh, started off slow in the spring, and is now cresting or trending in the right direction at the at the right time. And, and frankly, Vogie went in the other direction. He started out in a, in a good place, and he has trended in the opposite direction. Comfortable with Modder at any position on the field. Uh, Modder is, 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 as you may have you know, scouted yourself, he's a good defensive player no matter where you put him. And he's naturally comfortable at all of them. And it's, you know, we, we played him at first base yesterday. Uh, he has had, I think, three different appearances over there, and it looks as natural for him as it can be. And, and I asked him, you know, he looked very natural over there if he played a ton of first base. 
He said, he said, I just play infield. I'll play wherever you want me to play. If you want to put me in the outfield, I'll play there too. And uh, he's a confident player. He looks very athletic around the bag at first base. So that gave us, you know, some degree of, of uh, certainty in the versatility we have. We have more than one player on our 25-man roster to start the season that, that can play first base. And that's probably where Taylor winds up. So coming into the season, you'd have to expect Danny Valencia will be the full-timer at first base for the Mariners. So surprising move yesterday as we get closer to regular season. The final cuts right around the corner as well. And Daniel Vogelback will be starting the season in AAA. Also, since we spoke last, the United States winning the World Baseball Classic. Attendance was up, ratings, they were up as well. And what was a really exciting tournament, and the United States ends up winning the World Baseball Classic. One more thing before we get to Alex Hall, a conversation between Aaron Goldsmith and Scott Service uh, before a game a couple of days ago that I thought was pretty interesting because it's a subject that we talk about a lot on this podcast, and that's catcher framing. In fact, it's been interesting to watch uh, the catchers in spring training just practice their framing, how important it is to the Mariners and their organization. Aaron asked the skipper about catcher framing and his thoughts. P- pretty interesting stuff. Here it is. A chance now to talk with the Mariners skipper about catching and in particular a very fine point of catching the art of pitch framing. Scott, you were a major league catcher for over a decade. When you were catching, was it called pitch framing? Uh, I, I guess it probably was. There was no metric or, or no uh, system that was tied to grading out players, obviously, when I was playing. It just kind of has evolved, and probably in the last three or four years, it's taken on kind of a life of its own. And certainly uh, catchers around the league are aware of it. Uh, I think front offices are aware of it and really valuing it. And, you know, I think from the average fan, the difference that four or five pitches in the course of a game are huge, turning the balls into strikes. They just sway at bats. They sway big points of the game. And having guys that are, are capable of turning, you know, those borderline pitches into strikes and stealing a few once in a while is, is really huge throughout the course of a season. So what is the hardest type of pitch, whether it be location or actual pitch type, to make a pure strike? And what would be the easiest? Uh, I think the, you know, the right-handed sinker, the left-handed cutter. Uh, coming from a pitcher that's that ball off the catcher's left shin guard, you know, to get underneath that ball and then bring it up in the zone. I think a lot of catchers get there a little bit late. They end up, their initial movement, when the ball does hit the glove, the ball glove goes down. And you got to get there early enough that you can get up underneath it and, pretty, you know, slightly bring the ball up. Uh, I think that's what the, the experienced guys in the league do, uh, understanding what the pitcher on the mound can do and what is his pitch. And those guys, like I said, that right-handed pitcher with the hard sinker or the left-handed pitcher with the late breaking cutter or slider James Paxton is one of those guys it's difficult to catch I think Zanino does a great job with him he's caught him a lot and he understands how to cheat and get there early enough to make that ball look like a strike I'd like to say that we've taught Mike everything he knows it's just not the truth Mike has good hands and and it's something that he's aware of I think from the minute he got to the big leagues it's something he could do well and um, he's got a good feel for our pitchers Um, he's very strong hands and when I say that like I said the ball doesn't you know it doesn't take him away from the strike zone he's taking the ball into the strike zone because he is on time and he's aware of it now over the course of a game you may see him like drop a ball or like box a ball and that's because he's trying to catch it in the right part of the glove and you know I don't you know it used to be back when I played don't ever drop a ball nowadays it's just like hey you're gonna drop one once in a while but because he's trying to cheat and pull that ball into the zone a little early which we're okay with and what do you mean by box a ball uh you know the ball hits the glove and it kind of ricochets off or whatever you'd be like what's he doing back there how did he miss that one and not so much when there's guys on base it's obviously when nobody's on base where it's not that big a deal uh, but it, what he's trying to do is catch the ball in the right part of the glove to make it 
to get the glove into the strike zone and, and really kind of, you know, you're trying to trick the umpire a little bit. Is this something internally that the Mariners keep an eye on in terms of pitch framing? Absolutely. No, we do track it. Our analytical guys upstairs probably give us a, a weekly, biweekly report on how our guys are doing. Um, and, again, it's all dictated on the pitches that are like two to three inches around the corners of the strike zone. Those are the ones. and like We call them the 50-50 pitch. 50% of the time it's a strike. 50% of the time it's a ball. Can you get to be at 65 70% of the time that pitch is a strike? If you're doing that, you're doing an outstanding job. And over the course of a game – catch 150 pitches if you can turn four or five of those balls into strikes it's huge so really there's a there's a lot of responsibility on the pitcher to be throwing those 50 50 pitches correct <laughs> but we like all of our guys to live in that ring around the strike zone right on the edge because those are usually tougher to hit and you know when you look at heat maps and what hitters like it they like the ball in the middle of the plate and and thigh high so keeping it on the edges is a big part of it scott as always we appreciate the time no problem Aaron. and now let's take a look at the oakland a's Well, I always look forward to this as we get a chance to visit again with Alex Hall, one of our favorites. You can see him on Twitter, at AlexHallAN, and he writes for AthleticsNation.com, the place to go to find out what's going on with the Oakland A's. And, Alex, it's great to talk to you once again. I'm looking forward to this conversation because the perception I get around baseball is that the A's will finish towards the bottom of the AL West, but there's been some outliers in that. Uh, John Heyman, for example, just wrote an article about uh, seven teams that may surprise, and the Oakland A's was on that list. Where do you fall in general with the A's this year? Are they a team that could surprise? After following pretty closely for the last couple decades, one thing I can say about this team is they will get you when you least expect it. (laughs) It's right when you start getting a little too optimistic about all of their fancy plans that it all falls apart they finish in last place. And it's right when you get a little too used to that and you just assume they're going to keep doing it and laughing at some of the weird moves they make that you don't understand yet, and then suddenly they're in first place again. That happens in 2012, happens a few, you know, half a decade before that, happens for, for several years before that. Um, you know, they just kind of come out of nowhere, and I can absolutely see, you know, why, why someone would have that feeling about this year. Um, mostly just because there are so many uh, kind of top prospects uh, coming up, they're already through AAA. Some of them have already played a full year there. And so you're kind of at that point where you have almost an entire new lineup, frankly, almost an entire new roster waiting at AAA that are one by one going to start filtering in. And so it just comes down to, you know, what will this year be? Will this be the year where they trickle in and all of this kind of go through their lumps and finish the last place again? Or is this the 2012 redux where, you know, by June, a bunch of new rookies are there and they all break out at once and suddenly you just, you know, you fall into this 80 or 90 win season and maybe even make the playoffs. So I can, I can see why, you know, there can be that guarded optimism of this is the year that those upstart A's break out again like they always do every few years. But, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee it, and I wouldn't guess it in 2012 either. That's the fun part of it is it, it, it even catches us by surprise over in Oakland. I think in a division where there's lots of uh, rotation question marks, I think the A's rotation is pretty intriguing when you look at – some of the young arms with Cotton, with Manaya, uh, Graveman has been there for a while. And if Sonny Gray could come back and be Sonny Gray, how good could that rotation be? Yeah, it was a big problem last year. And you know, to give credit, there were some folks on, on, on Athletics Nation who saw that 
from day one and, and, and looked at that rotation on in March and an opening day and said, the guys isn't going to work. This is going to be done by May. And they were right. And, you know, no one guessed that Sonny Gray was going to fall apart, but basically the entire group got hurt. Even Rich Hill, who, you know, was the big good story, was, was, a, was a success story. Even he got hurt a few times. And so the, the thing that they needed to focus more than anything here was the depth. Yeah. And sometimes in this case, that didn't just mean collecting depth because they kind of already done that. It meant keeping it. They had this host of these young stars, and it must have been so tempting to take you know one of these five or six or seven AAA starters they have. You know, they all look pretty decent. You know, you hope a couple of them, but so easy to go and trade one of those for Gerard Dyson or, or some you know one year win now kind of thing, which is what they spent the last two years doing was was trying to patch up these holes through trade. And so they have held on to this whole host of pitching, and it turned out to be a good idea because they lost Daniel Mengden before the se- before spring even started. He was doing his off-season throwing program, and his foot just fell off. And and Sonny Gray is already going to miss opening day. So there's two. Uh, you know, suddenly now uh, you're looking at uh, you got Sean Manaya who was an excellent rookie last year, Kendall Graveman, who was the only horse last year. He was the only guy in the whole rotation who – made all 30-plus starts, didn't miss any injury. Uh, you know, Jarrell Cotton, like you said, is is the big hope, I think, among Athletics Nation right now. Um, I think he's viewed nationally as kind of a back-end starter, and I think he's viewed by uh, a few people and a lot of people on Athletics Nation um, as like a number two, number three guy. Uh, we, we have big hopes for him. So there's three right there. You know, last year, they take Andrew Triggs out of the bullpen. He's kind of a side-arming long man. And they throw him in the rotation, and it works for a little bit. They'll try that again. They did it with Jesse Chavez putting a reliever into the rotation. So it's not unheard of. And then uh, Jesse Hahn, who they got in their Derek Norris trade uh, a few years ago, he disappeared last year. He got maybe a little hurt, just kind of just kind of lost his game for a year. And it looks like he's got it back. So you can see, you know, there's five guys, you know, kind of ready to go. But – it's what they've got beyond that. It's all the injuries they have coming back midseason. Sonny Gray, you know, Mangdon, uh, Chris Bassett had uh, Tommy John surgery last April. He'll, he should be back sometime midseason. And then they've got some guys in, uh, in AAA who are just starting out there, and they're just one hot streak away from getting a shot in the rotation. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. Um, there's not a lot of high uh, uh, innings totals either. That's going to be a draw. That's going to be something to deal with in August or September. But what there is is a lot of depth, a lot of bodies, and and ones that you don't mind seeing. It's not just that they have a bunch of minor league free agents, you know, replacement level guys to put in. They've got a lot of intriguing prospects, and at least even if keep guys keep getting hurt over and over, hopefully there will continue to be interesting names coming in to fill in. And it looks like on paper, if the A's have a lead late in a ball game, they're going to be tough. Madsen had a good year the last couple of years. He's been really good. Doolittle still back there. Casilla, uh, who just came over from the Giants. Dole's back there. How excited is Athletics Nation about the back end of the bullpen? That was the only good part of last year, pretty much. There was a couple of rookies we liked watching elsewhere, but pretty much the bullpen was the only thing that worked last year. It was, it was uh, historically bad in 25, uh, 2015. It, 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 I mean, it, they blew like 30 saves. It was terrible. Uh, 2015 was one of the worst bullpens of the entire decade in the whole league. They fixed it last year. They went out and, and overspent 
and free agents, which is fine. And and, uh, and like you say, they've got now uh, that that unit last year was roughly top ten, you know, so top third of the league. That's pretty good. It's not like they were number one or anything like that, but uh, they were they were comfortably in that top half. Um, there were those those kind of back end late inning veterans like Ryan Madsen and uh, and, and Axford helped out and Sean Doolittle uh, got healthy again, but the two guys who might be the best in the bullpen are are the two least famous guys. And isn't that often how it goes with relievers? It's the ones you haven't heard of yet that are the ones sitting there or putting up the eye popping numbers. And those are Ryan Dole, who was a like a thirty second round draft pick years ago, and you know, but he's that one who made it all the way up. And uh, he said he started the year by setting a record for uh, uh, it, most inherited runners stranded without scoring one to start. He started the season with like, I forget if it was 35 or 45 uh, straight inherited runners. He stranded that, that set an all time record. And then he eventually let a few in. Um, but to give an idea of what he was bringing to the table, uh, just kind of a fastball slider guy. And, and he did great. And then Liam Hendricks, who they acquired last year for Jesse Chavez, uh, his his year he's uh, hurt to start the year, which kind of tanked his numbers really for the whole year. But then he's kind of guy where he came back in like the middle of May and he was lights out for four and a half months. And so you can choose: do you want to look at the full season numbers that were okay, or do you want to be realistic and look what he just did for four months and, and was one of the best in the league? Um, those two guys are not the big names. I don't think they'll be closing, but you know, by the end of the year, we might be again looking back on, on how they control of the ace bullpen. Uh, the other name back there to, to keep an eye on is uh, Frankie Montas if he comes up. He's one of the guys they got at the deadline last year in their big uh, Josh Reddick and Rich Hill trade. This guy throws over 100 miles an hour. They wanted to start, but realistically speaking, uh, he's probably going to open up in, uh, in the bullpen for now and, and try to work up that you know, that, that longevity to, to start in the future. But man, if you see this guy coming up midseason, you're going to see some some triple-digit fastballs coming out of the East Bolton. Wow. So what's Chris Davis going to do for an encore this year? <laughs> I mean, you never want to expect a guy to hit 40 homers again, you know. But, I mean, if he hits 35, I think we're all happy. If he hits 30, that's probably okay. I'll tell you what I'd like to see out of him. The one thing uh, that really that really could improve him is a little bit more on base percentage, and this is I mean the guy had a great year, uh, you know he, he was a quite above average at the plate. Obviously, all that power one of the one of the biggest homer totals in the league. His defense is fine, um, you know his arms not much, but he he's, he's okay out there. But uh, 307 on base percentage last year, that's just too low. You know, it, it's got to be uh, it's got to be more comfortably above 300 than that. Again, he made up for it by doing other things very well, and he was still a productive player. But if he can get that on base up to 320, 330, 340, you're starting to talk about you know uh, an easy All Star and, and you know approaching superstar level. If you're hitting 40 homers and getting on base a bit, I mean, you know, you're on you're on posters somewhere, right? So yeah. that's the thing I would like to see him do is uh, is draw a few more walks, which he did. Two years ago in Milwaukee, in his final year there, he had upped his walk rate significantly, way above, way above league average, way above anything he'd done before. So, so the point is, it's something we've seen him do before in real life. It's not just a, it's not just a dream of I wish he could do this. I wish he could get back that thing he did two years ago because if he gets that on base up, he will be a superstar instead of 
an awesome star like he is now. Um, the other thing we really like about Chris Davis, dude moved to Oakland over the offseason, loved it, and is talking about how much he loves it. And, you know, we like hearing that. Yeah, no doubt. No, that's great. And Oakland had a ton of young guys playing at the end of last season in the field. Did, were there any answers found? Anyone you're very optimistic about moving forward? <laughs> yeah, that outfield is a little rough right now. Um, that, you know, that that's where they put a lot of the focus this off season on some of their free agents. Uh, well, I mean, I guess they got a lot of free agents, but you know, going out and getting Rajay Davis. You know, that their center fielders were the worst in baseball last year. Um, they they were the whole group collectively was uh, significantly below. So it wasn't just they were replacement level players and you could have just grabbed anyone. They were you actually could have grabbed a guy out of the minor leagues and probably done better than what the A's did last year, uh, which was a bunch of Billy Burns, a bunch of uh, the shell of the shell of Coco Chris. Um, all due respect, and uh, it just didn't go well. And then they tried to put Jake Splinsky out there, and that was questionable um so now they got rajay davis we love him you know he he ended up, you know he's still plugging along in his late 30s uh we all know him he was here before we all liked him when he was here before and he brings the things that we could use he can play some center field he's going to be fun to watch on the bases and that's enough that that's that's mission accomplished there uh matt joyce over in right field he's kind of one of those a's Many breakout candidates. You know, uh, he had a he had a very interesting year last year. Uh, that walk rate went up. The the on base was was you know through the roof. And so you know, you just kind of wonder: is this uh, is, is he the next guy who's going to break out in Oakland? Either way, he should be a solid hitter. So they, they've, you know, the outfield is acceptable now. It has major league players in it. That was not the case last year. So that is an upgrade. Well, yeah, that is an upgrade. Um, the problem is there's not a lot coming up behind them. You know, we're excited about our, our infielders coming up. We're excited about our young starters. Like I was saying before, there's practically a whole roster coming up through AAA, except the outfield. And so the, the, the kind of the, the hope I have looking forward for the outfield is not that we're going to go out and find a bunch of new prospects to add to that mix. I kind of wonder if the guys they already have might start moving around some positions, which again is not at all unusual for the A's. That's they're pretty used to taking a guy and saying, "Hey, you know, we heard you played third base in high school. Let's have you do that again for the next five years." Um, uh, all these, all these infielders they've got in, in AAA, and so they have too many to fit in. They're starting to shift them out to the outfield and see can some of these guys work out out there. That could kill two birds with one stone. Fit everyone in the lineup. And also finally address that area of the diamond where they're so weak right now, uh, lacking depth so so badly. Uh, the final name in that outfield, though, that I do like, there's a kind of a sleeper prospect the A's have, an outfielder named Jacob Brugman. Um, he's just kind of this just all-around jack-of-all-trades guy, you know, uh, uh, kind of good at everything, but not, not great at anything, but not bad at anything. I just have a real soft spot for that kind of player. I know they don't always work out. Sometimes, you know, the fact that they don't have that one carrying skill is, is the thing that keeps them from making it. I just, you know, this is that kind of guy who just, he's been winning his whole way up through the minors. You know, the, the, the coaches and everything just speak glowingly of him all the time. Um, I just have had a hunch about this guy for a couple of years and uh, he's on the 40 man roster. Now he's going to debut at some point here. So one of these old outfielders will get hurt. And, uh, 
you know, I'm excited to finally see this this sleeper that I've been, you know, uh, reading about it and building up in my head and see if he can really do it. So I'm excited to see that that one uh, low-level, let's say, prospect. Your thumbnail of the division, what do you think the AL West looks like and where do the A's fit into the mix? Well, I mean, if you're starting now, you have to pick them for last place. Mm. It's just the only it's the only thing that makes any sense. Uh, well, ah, you could pick them over the Angels if you wanted. I think the Angels are an absolute joke like they have been for the last couple of years. Um, they're, they're nowhere near pulling themselves out of that. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe we could pass the Angels. We were close to them last year. So we'll give, them, we'll, give them, we'll give the A's fourth place this year. But like we were saying at the beginning, with this team, more than with other teams, I think, there was always that chance of the breakout you didn't expect. These are the guys who always sneak up on you, and they love it. You know, this organization just loves to, loves to shock everyone and prove everyone wrong. They've been doing it for, for a couple of decades, you know, periodically. Not every year, but periodically. And so, I mean, yeah, I've got to sit here and say fourth place to start the year because that's, that's the only thing I can justify. But I will not be surprised if and when it is better than that. Stretch. The pitch to Dave Henderson, and the curve swung on and ripped a deep left field. Back goes O'Brien to the warning track, the wall. It will fly away. It is three to one, Mariners. Dave Henderson got this one over the barrier, just barely over the barrier. And as O'Brien went back, he just looked up, and it did not quite get into the seats. It just got over the wall and under the seats in left field. And Dave Henderson touches them all for the 13th time this year. Picks up his 42nd, 43rd, and 44th RBIs.